I'm already crying, so this may not go very well. <laughs> well, um, ever since, even before we came back from St. Louis, I had wanted to do this at some point in time, just to share um, what God has done for us. Um, and I was thinking as I was preparing this that uh, most of the testimonies we hear are of um, initial salvation whenever the Lord first saves someone. But this is a testimony of how the Lord keeps his people um, even in their darkest times. So for those of you that may not know me, um, there's quite a few here that I don't know. Uh, my name is Rachel Van, and my husband Mason is one of the pastors here. And then um, Charles that was just up here is um, my dad. So um, a year ago this weekend, um, I was 32 weeks pregnant with our third child, and he had been extremely active the whole time that I had been pregnant until that weekend, and I started noticing that he just wasn't moving quite as much. And, you know, I was getting closer to the time of having him, and I didn't think too much of it, and he was still moving some, so I tried not to worry about it. Um, but just felt like that something was wrong. So whenever I went in um, for my routine exam, I told them about it. And um, they hooked me up to a monitor and saw that um, his heart wasn't having the excel the normal accelerations that a baby's heart should have um, at that age for his development. <clears throat> They weren't very worried about it. They decided to keep me overnight. Um, they kept me overnight. They talked about sending me home even before they kept me overnight. They decided to keep me overnight. And then um, it was getting a little bit worse, and his heart was actually starting to go down some. Um, but still, they weren't very worried about it. Um, just kind of let's wait and see. Um, but as time went on, I felt more and more like something was really wrong, just had a sense of it. Um, so they decided to send us to Columbia. And um, <clears throat> before, I, before I go into the how everything happened, I just wanted to say starting out that um, my reasons for doing this uh, as far as sharing is to give God the glory for what he did, but also to honor and thank each of you um, for so much that you did for us during that time. And then just to encourage your hearts that God answers prayer. And I want you to think as I'm sharing, um, you know, no matter who it was that encouraged us or how the Lord um, used Bible verses or whatever, it was because you prayed for us that God did these things. And um, you children also, I know that there was a lot of children praying for us, and I want you to know that God spared Jackson's life because you prayed for us. And he's a very big God, and he's able to bring babies back from the dead. So um, we got to Columbia, they did an ultrasound, and they immediately found that he had um, a major heart defect. It's called transposition of the great arteries. And there's two arteries that attach at the top of the heart. And one carries um, the deoxygenated blood back through the lungs to reoxygenate. 
and the other carries the oxygenated blood out to the body. Jackson's were switched, so he was getting half of the oxygen he needed at most. Um, so they found the heart defect, and a doctor came in and explained to us um, kind of what the defect was and how they treated it usually after babies were born. And he was very kind and gentle with us. And, um, and then the main doctor came in and said that um, Jackson Jackson would need open-heart surgery to correct this if he was going to live. And he said that he, um, he was too young, he was too small. So even if they were to deliver him right then, he wouldn't be able to survive the surgery. So he said they were just going to leave him and wait and see. Um, but as right after I got into my hospital room there in, in Columbia, his heart rate started going way down. Um, and the nurses would come in and look really worried and get me to roll over and rub him, rub my belly. And um, Mason and I just thought, like, this this is not a good plan. We can't just let him die and not even try to do anything. And right around that time, the doctor came back in, and he said that he had um, been doing research for a couple of hours, and because Jackson was big for his age, he weighed about five pounds, they could tell, he thought that they would go ahead and deliver him and just try to do the surgery and see if they could save him. And um, so he made arrangements with the St. Louis Children's Hospital for Jackson to be, or for me to be life-flighted there so that they could deliver him there and then he would be where he needed to be when he was born. St. Louis at first agreed to that and then they called back and said from the test that you've done, I don't think that the baby would survive the flight, so you need to have him there and then try and transport him after he's born. And it's amazing, isn't it, that a baby that you've never held, never even seen, that you could care that much. And it's just such a testimony to the value of human life. Um, so... They waited as long as they could for St. Louis to get there, and they flew in on a helicopter. And once they were there, they started the C-section, and they said that after Jackson was born, that they would take Mason back with Jackson to be with him um, while they finished closing me up from the C-section. And he was born, and they took him, and they didn't take Mason. And I said, do you think he's alive? And Mason said, I don't know. And um, Then a little while later, they came and got Mason. And I took him back there, and um, he was back watching everything that they were doing and until Jackson. They revived him, and then he went into cardiac arrest after that. And... Whenever that happened, the doctor actually took Mason into another room and put his arm around him and started praying that we would know that God is in control. And um, just a wonderful prayer about God's sovereignty. I am a nurse and I have never in my life seen or heard a doctor do anything like that. So um, he was born at 1223, 
a.m. And I got back to my room around 2 in the morning. And um, as soon as I got back, the nurses said, well, did you get to see your baby? And I said, no, I didn't get to see him. And they said, he cannot leave without you seeing him. And they spent two hours trying to get my bed out there where I could see Jackson before he left. And then we got back to our room, and they had told us that they would call us with a report from St. Louis when he got there, and nobody called, and nobody called. So around 6 in the morning, I called them, and um, they said it was a foreign doctor. I couldn't understand half of what she was saying, but she said he's doing okay, and I got off the phone and told Mason, you know, they, they said he's doing okay, and um, we were encouraged that he was still alive. And then about 30 minutes later, they called me back, and the doctor said, um, if you want to see him alive, you need to come. He's not going to live. So I had just had a C-section, and they said I couldn't leave. But um, the doctor came in and prayed with us again, and Mason left to go to St. Louis. And... Um, the nurses were so kind and so caring. I mean, it wasn't their baby. Why should they care so much? And they cried with me. They held my hand. Um, and I just thought that the Lord was so near. And I remember thinking um, that God knows how it feels to lose a son. And then um, I have several devotionals on my phone that I like to read, and I just started reading each one for the day. And um, I had these in here, but it messed it up, so let me find the right day again. <clears throat> the first one um, that I read was a devotional called Daily Light, and it's just Bible verses put together. The main verse is, Sit still, my daughter, Ruth 3.18. And it says, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. Be still and know that I am God. Did I not say to you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. And I just felt like the Lord was saying to me, I'm going to heal Jackson. And then my first thought was, I know God's able, but is he willing to do that? And the next devotional, the first verse is, I will be thou clean. And Spurgeon says, um, primeval darkness heard the almighty word light be, and straightway light was. And the word of the Lord is equal in majesty to that ancient word of power. Redemption like creation has its word of might. Jesus speaks and it is done. Leprosy yielded to no human remedies, but it fled at once at the Lord's I will. The disease exhibited no hopeful signs or tokens of recovery. Nature contributed nothing to its own healing, but the unaided word affected the entire work on the spot and forever. And then the last one that I read was, What I do, you do not know now, but you shall know hereafter. 
Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And the word just was, like I said, so near. And I remember one time I was laying there and I thought that I felt Jackson move. And then I remembered he's not in me anymore. He's not there. And um, every time the door opened, I thought that it was a doctor coming to tell me Jackson had died. But they never came. And um, dad and mom came up and then went to St. Louis. And Lydia came up and Ian and Leslie came. And they had already been having our kids, our other two kids. But they were all there with me, and um, that evening, the doctor that um, had delivered Jackson, it was a resident, she was a woman, and very kind, and she came in and sat down in my bed and took my hand and said, I've, I've thought about you all day, and um, I just don't, don't think that I could do what you're doing um, without seeing my son, and I may get in trouble, but I'm going to go ahead and release you early to go down and be able to be with him. So Lydia drove me to St. Louis at midnight that night, and I was able to see Jackson there. And I just couldn't believe how perfect he was, just absolutely perfect. Then um, later in that same day, we had a meeting with all the doctors to just kind of discuss what was going to happen and what they expected would happen with him. And I'm so thankful that Dad and Mom were able to be there, and Lydia was still there, and um, Mason's parents were there, and it was just such a help to have them there with us, and so we wouldn't have to repeat everything, and just for the support, and the doctor said, and they all went around the table and told us, you know, their specialty and what they thought would happen with Jackson, and the doctor said that um, he was without oxygen for a very long time. One of them even said... 10 minutes, and going back, I forgot a very important part of this, um, after he was born, they came to us and said, we think that he had a fetal maternal hemorrhage, and I thought, okay, I don't know what that even means, but okay, and um, we found out later that Jackson had lost the equivalent of his entire blood volume while he was in the womb, so... The problems that he was having were not actually from his heart defects. They were from the hemorrhage. But they didn't realize that at the time that he was born. So when he was born, um, he already had half of the oxygen that he needed at most. And then he had no blood to carry it. <clears throat> and the Saint, the, both of the teams, the Columbia team and the St. Louis team, were excellent. But the St. Louis team recognized it right away and said he, he needs blood. And... Mason said they actually argued about it some, and then they finally were able to get the blood, but it took several minutes before he could have the blood. Um, so there was a long time where he didn't have blood or oxygen to his organs. They told us that um, the liver and the kidneys, um, as two of the major organs, took a huge hit. They were seeing all sorts of damage to those on their lab results, etc. 
but they said those can recover. They thought he would probably have to be on dialysis, which he never was. Um, but they said the brain can't recover, and we fear that his brain is is pretty much destroyed. And at the time, they had him paralyzed with a drug so that um, he wouldn't be moving, his body wouldn't be working. They wanted to control everything. And they lifted the paralytic that day, and... Um, Mason said, go talk to him. And I leaned over and said his name, and he opened his eyes and looked up. But they were doing a, a brain scan at the time. They had him hooked up to about 20 wires, called an EEG. And it showed that he was in a vegetative state. I mean, there was nothing there. But so many times we would think, yeah, but he opened his eyes when I talked to him. He recognized me. And a day later, Mason went home to get our some of our stuff if we were going to stay. And I went to the store with Mason's mom, and I thought, you know, if he lives, I, I would like to nurse him later on, so I need to buy some stuff for that. And I walked in circles around it. I thought I just can't buy it because if he dies, I don't want to remember. And Mason was at home and he saw the car seat sitting there and he thought I just can't bring it back with me because if he dies, I don't want Rachel to see the car seat. And then the Lord showed both of us separately that even if he died, we had two days with our son, and we could be grateful for that. And it was just like it just turned everything upside down to remember that we could be grateful. And it was such an encouragement, too, that the Lord showed us the exact same thing, even though we were apart. And again, just remember, this is because you prayed for us. This is God answering your prayers. So they had told us that whenever he was stable enough, they would do an MRI of his brain, and that that would give them some information. Um, they didn't expect him to live through those first few days. They told us that he would probably have a seizure and that that would be the end, that he would die. And they said if he can make it 24 hours without a seizure, that's good. And if he can make it 48, that's good. And 78 would be really encouraging. And whenever 78 hours came, you know, we both were just praising the Lord. Jackson hasn't had a seizure. So... He was 10 days old before he was stable enough to go to the MRI. And he had the MRI done, and they kept um, everything there, you know, just on the schedule of as they're able, and they have very critical patients all the time. So the MRI kept getting moved and changed, and Mason's parents actually tried to stay <clears throat> so that they could be there with us when we got the MRI results. and. It got changed again, so they weren't able to. They had to go back. But Dad was getting ready to go to Mexico, and um, his flight got canceled two times right at the time that Jackson was getting the results of his MRI. Dad was there for 20 minutes. And he was able to sit with us as we got the results of the MRI. 
They said that he had suffered severe brain damage. They showed us stroke after stroke after stroke. And they said he had a 90% chance of severe cerebral palsy and that um, he would most likely be in a wheelchair. He wouldn't be able to eat. They didn't think he wouldn't be able to swallow. And they feared mostly that he would not at all be responsive to us, that he wouldn't be able to speak and he wouldn't know we were there. And we were absolutely devastated. But Dad was able to be there with us and cry with us. And that's just God. That just doesn't happen. That's God. Um, so then after the MRI, we had a meeting with the team to discuss his surgery. And they said that if he has this surgery, it will probably finish off any actual brain function that he has left. Um, there's a very high risk that if he was put on the bypass machine that he would have further brain bleeding. And I said, well, what other options do we have? And they said, well, you can take him home and he might live for up to a year, but he would turn more and more blue until he died. And I said, that is not an option. We have two other kids. We can't bring back a baby to watch him die. And we were just so devastated. It was like there was no, nothing good. There was no chance of anything good that could come out of this. And that afternoon, um, Clint and Jenny, <coughs> Clint and Jenny Leiter from Sedalia came to visit, and they just sat and cried with us. And I remember I just couldn't even lift up my eyes. And then um, Clint read us Psalm 27, 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I remember just looking up and thinking, yes, I can't see the goodness, but I can believe God that I will. And... A day or so later, um, we were, you know, trying to figure out how we were going to make this work because it seemed like that Jackson was going to live at least long enough for surgery. And, um, we were very worried about our other two kids and um, missing them. And <clears throat> Ian and Leslie had them for a long time, and Dad and Mom had them, and Lydia. And we thought that we were going to be able to stay in the Ronald McDonald house, and I went there. Um, whenever a room opened up and it was very clear that it wasn't going to work. And we were just despairing about that also. We didn't know what we were going to do. Mason and I were sleeping in Jackson's room at night. Thank you. I was sleeping on the chair and Mason had a little pad, pad that he would sleep on on the floor. And, um, anyway, Garrett and David came to visit us that day and... Um, I remember Garrett just crying with us and how much it helped me just to see how much people cared. And then David said that um, someone from the church had given us a gift for lodging, and it was a large gift, and it, it came at exactly the right time when we needed it. And there was a motel. Mason had called through a list of places trying to find somewhere that would 
do something reasonable and he couldn't find anything. Mason's dad called one hotel and they said yes, they would they would do it for a very discounted rate and it was just so wonderful to be able to unpack my clothes and to to know that we were going to at least have a place to stay while we were there. Um, so Jackson was in the um, NICU after that for a month. They decided that if they waited a month, they were just guessing, but they thought maybe there wouldn't be as much risk of brain bleed. So he was in the NICU for a month, and he had another MRI during that time. And we didn't really understand it, but they said that it looked better than the first one. We didn't understand what that meant, and they didn't really commit to what that meant. Um, so it was just kind of a wait and see, and the whole time was like that. Then on um, October 8th, he had open heart surgery. And um, it took about nine hours. And instead of having to be on the bypass once, he was on the bypass twice. They actually took him off and realized there was another problem, so they had to put him back on um, and operate again. So that made his risk of bleeding twice as great. He came back with um, his chest still open, covered, but open because he was so swollen. And he continued to get more and more swollen each day instead of it getting better. Um, he also had a pacemaker that was external at the time. Um, they were hopeful that his heart would begin to beat correctly again, but it never did. And he had, he developed a complication the next day called SVC syndrome, which is a clot in the superior vena cava, and it um, most commonly, I think, happens with, like, cancer patients or somebody that has a tumor that's pressing on that area. But Jackson's was a clot from his lines that he had had before surgery. And... Um, they said we can put him on this clot buster, but it's very risky because it can cause brain bleeding. Well, that was, you know, his biggest risk anyway. So um, they closed his chest a few days later. We prayed that the pacemaker would be able to be taken away, and it wasn't. The Lord decided he needed that pacemaker, so he still has that. And they said because of the pacemaker, he can never have an MRI again. That's, that's it for MRIs. And we didn't understand that. Um, you know, we wanted to know what his brain looked like after the surgery, but we weren't able to. Um, <clears throat> then they tried to treat the clot other ways, and it didn't work, so they ended up putting him on the clot buster. And they were doing scans, um, ultrasounds of his brain every day, and every day there was no more bleeding than there was before. And... Um, you know, they had told us things at the beginning, like, don't be encouraged by movement. It's just the firing of the brain. You know, you can't, don't don't judge things from that. So it was really hard for us to ever know whether we could be encouraged by things or not, but he seemed so responsive to us. Um, and then a little bit later on, um, I think he developed, they said, about every possible complication that he could have um, during surgery, but... Um, after that, he he got an infection of his pacemaker. And usually whenever um, someone gets an infection of their pacemaker, they take the pacemaker out, put in a new one, move it to a different spot. 
Well, he was absolutely de dependent on the pacemaker. They couldn't just take it out without putting him back on the bypass. And he was so small that he didn't have anywhere else to move it to. And um, I feel like in every area the Lord answered prayer, but we both just felt like that the Lord really supernaturally answered your prayers um, about Jackson's pacemaker infection. Um, because they decided they were going to leave it in, and they put him on six different antibiotics. And then the surgeon, his open-heart surgery surgeon, invented a little machine that would deliver antibiotics right to the site of the infection. And he told us several times, he'd look me in the eye and say, I do not expect this to work. We're just going to try it. And he came the next day, and he said, how's he doing? And I said, well, it looks totally better. It had been red and pussy, and, and I said, and his fever's gone. And they said that his um, white count is down, and he looked just shocked. And he s slapped his hand down on the crib, and he said, thank God. And um, we just knew that the Lord had answered prayer. Um, even that could have killed him. Um, Around that time, Mason um, had gotten a bad cold, and he was starting to have chest pain, and the kids were with us at this time, so um, we dropped him off at the emergency room and thought maybe they'd do a chest x-ray and give him some antibiotics or something, and then I didn't hear anything and didn't hear anything, and I called, and they... Um, thought that maybe he was having a heart attack and they were doing a lot of labs on his heart and then they were all coming back bad. And for the first time throughout the whole time, I remember just being so angry with God and how could you let this happen that Mason's in the hospital now too. And just so unbelieving and hard in my heart. And then it was like all of a sudden I just felt life coming back and faith. And I thought that the saints are praying for me that my faith wouldn't fail. And um, after that, there was another night. Mason ended up actually having pneumonia that led to myocarditis. And um, he recovered really well. The Lord just had mercy and all of that. And then there was another night that um, when Jackson was actually really stable when I called and said, you need to come to the hospital right now. Um, he's not doing well. And I got there and um, the doctor said he's better now, but he said that all of his pressures were rising. They thought he had developed really severe pulmonary edema around his lungs. And he said, I was very concerned. Um, so even even then, you know, when everything was almost over, we could have lost him. Um, but we came home on December 3rd after 13 weeks of being there in St. Louis. And they didn't realize it, but his SVC syndrome was continuing, and he continued to have trouble breathing and with swelling. So five weeks later, we were back in St. Louis. And we stayed for 10 days, and then um, he was doing a lot better after that. So um, we brought him back home again, and um, we were taking it one day at a time um, and trying, you know, we just can't help as a mother but watch and, and think, you know, is he showing signs of this or this? And I would look things up on the Internet, and 
um, you know, well, it seems like maybe he's doing this that they mentioned, but he's really not doing that. And just wondering and trying to just give it to the Lord, but um, so hard not knowing what was going to happen. And just slowly as time went on, he just seemed to be doing so well to us. And we took him to our pediatrician, and she said at the end of her appointment, she said, um, I just want you to know I don't see any signs of brain damage in him. And then we took him, you know, I, we both were just rejoicing over that, but we thought, well, she's not a neurologist, and, um, you know, we need to wait and see what they think. And we took him to a neurodevelopmental doctor in Columbia, and, and she said he's, he shows no signs of cerebral palsy at all. Um, and then um, we went to Columbia for our first follow-up cardiology appointment and it was that same doctor that had come in and explained to us what was wrong with Jackson's heart whenever we were first admitted and um, he was very compassionate and caring and um, at the end of the visit he, he was very solemn and he said I just want you to know that I feel Jackson is a miracle and um, we do too <laughs> Um, so now Jackson's almost one year old, and I just still can't believe it. He's crawling. He's pulling up on his crib by himself. He's talking, you know, saying da-da and playing with the kids. And um, God spared our son through your prayers, and we want to thank you for that. And... We want to thank you for all that you did for us during that time. Um, our house was having problems. Um, the foundation had to be rebuilt, and you all came and moved out all of our furniture and then moved it back in, and Dad and Jim and um, so many others rebuilt our house after it was all torn apart. And Ian and Leslie had our kids for months and never acted like it was even slightly a problem. Dad and Mom had our kids for months. Um, just so much. Dawn came over so many times after Jackson was first born, and it saved my life. I couldn't have done it after he first got home, I mean. Um, so just two applications that I came away with from that time. Um, one, like I said, is the gratitude, uh, just that we can be thankful to God. For every little thing and um, whenever we do that it takes away the bitterness and it takes away the anger and the hurt and the hurt is still there but God turns it and then the second one is just I just saw during that time I mean it listen and I talked about there were so many prayers that we prayed that God said no to there were so many times when I would pray um, before we left the hospital, God, would you help him to sleep through the night and have a good night? Because I felt so guilty leaving him at night. And I would come back the next morning, and they said, no, he had a terrible night. He was in pain, and I just felt so awful. And it was, you know, I didn't understand why God wasn't answering those prayers. And there were those things, and like the pacemaker, you know, we wanted the pacemaker to not be there. And we would have left there to not be any complications. But just came back from the time feeling like 
God will do anything. And I remember thinking, you know, about the salvation of our children spiritually and thinking, of course God will save them. I asked him to. And just that God loves to bless his children, and you can't ask for anything that's too big. So remember that when you're praying. Remember that God heard your prayers and saved Jackson's life and healed his brain supernaturally. And that God will answer your prayers. And then I just wanted to close um, by reading the verse that I read in the um, in the ambulance on my way to St. Louis. I felt like that it was of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. Ezekiel 37, 13. I remember thinking maybe Jackson's going to live, but I had no idea at the time that he was going to die and God was going to bring him up from his grave.